My mother was born and raised in Panama City, Panama, and she is 53 years old. According to the official records, that is. But every year, when her birthday comes around and we put a cake in front of her, she will invariably say, I am actually three years older. She says this because she claims that her original birth certificate burned down in some kind of fire, and that when the officials came by to ask her mother how old her kids were, she had forgotten the correct year. She had eight other kids with birthdays to keep track of, after all, so it could be plausible. My mother has a lot of stories, a lot of them like this, explanations for random parts of her life that actually cloud more than they clarify. And I'm not the only person who feels this way. I talked to my little brother about this one night when I was trying to feel my way around this story, and despite the differences between us, him being a classical portrait of an angsty 16-year-old boy and me being... not that... He had the same thing to say. He said, She could tell me that she was like a drill sergeant. I wouldn't even be surprised. You know, like she was like a yoga instructor. And sometimes she'll like reference things that happened in her life. She's like, yeah, my back's never been the same since I threw it out, you know, training people for marathons. And I'm like, what? Or she'll be like, when I was training to be a barber, I'm like, what? And it's just all these, these things that just don't know where they come from. I think one of the reasons my mom's stories make us react with this, what? Is because they often border on the edge of what would be plausible in the world as we see it. My stories never have stuff like, She said, don't look, just run. And I looked, and there was a big old bull just coming straight at us. And we were like, oh my God, she, she's dead. And we start running horns and God knows what ugly thing. And we will pray, please, please don't let her be there watching us. So I armed myself with that cross. In them. And it has taken me a while to figure out what that means in the construction of her as I see her. But among all these stories that she has told me, this one is my favorite. Hello. Hello. Okay. There is one other story I know really well that I want you to tell. Well, the one when I went to Finland and the woman saw me and she says, Can I please touch you? No. Can I please? <laughs> no, um, it's the one about Jamba. Oh, this is Jamba. So, Panama. In Panama, there are carnival celebrations during the month of February, and what we would do is we would go out and chase each other and run around, and there are these things called diablicos. Now, diablicos were people who dressed up in costumes and asked you for money. And if they caught you, you had to give them money, and if you didn't have money, well, they would chase you down and whip you for not having it. That was tradition. But there is this one diablico called Jamba. Jamba measured in and around six foot five, at least. He was huge, but not just huge, he was gargantuan, a titan of a man. I asked her how old she thought Jamba was, and she said she guessed that he was probably around 25 years old. In my opinion, that's old enough for it to be weird. But in her opinion, it's old enough for him to be scary, full-grown. Anyway, he had muscles. 
powerful muscles and he would go to the mechanics and he would take the old dirty used car oil and he would put it all over his body and then he'd put on tiny shorts and then over the tiny shorts he'd put on this Hawaiian skirt and he would go to the Chinese stores and he would buy a piece of meat that was only fat and he would hold it in his mouth and chew it and on top of all of that he had that leather whip we were little, and when he would come around, we would leave the house with this fear, this terror to go and see, you know? So we would all go, and we were a big group, but I was sly, and I would stay towards the back, in case I had to run, because Jamba would hit you and come at you with that whip in the air like he was a bullfighter. In those times, almost everyone always had their doors open, and all the houses were close together, so whenever we would run, there would be houses back to back. Anyway, I go off with the group and we went to find Jamba. We lived on street 17 and we started looking for him on street 16, 15, 14, wherever we could find him. And then all of a sudden there was this conglomeration of people, young and old, running, going, Jamba's coming! And I said, shit! And I start running and running and running and I look back and between all the people, I saw him. And I had never seen him so close and I just kept looking at him. Everyone was yelling, run, Nina, run back home. But I knew I just would not make it. I just would not make it. So I ran into a house that wasn't even mine and I hid. Jamba came by close, passing by with a whole group of people. And I stuck my head out to see once he was gone. I heard someone say, what are you doing here? And I looked and there's a woman sitting in a rocking chair. I said, ma'am, forgive me. I didn't want to come into your house, but Jamba was coming by and I was afraid. And so she started to laugh and she said, okay. I love this image. An old woman in a rocking chair watching my mother, young and wiry and dirty from running around, hiding in abject terror from a man covered in car oil with a whip terrorizing the local kids, thinking, yeah, all right, you can hang out. Anyway, she continues. Then, when I didn't see anyone or anyone else, I started to leave. But when I started to leave, I see another kid also hiding in a house that wasn't his. And we were both going, thank God, and whatever. And then I heard this scream, this transcendental scream, and Jamba had been waiting for us. So I start yelling, no, not me, not me. And I threw all the money I had on the ground, and I took off running back into the lady's house. My brother Mario ended up having to come and get me because I would not leave. I spent like an hour in there, and people were coming up to the house saying, Nina, he already left, he's chasing another group already. And I told them, no, I'm not leaving. Send my brothers to come and get me. So Mario came to get me and he told me, you're ridiculous, you made me come get you, I was watching cartoons. I was only three houses away. Carnival week was a week straight of chases and tracking down Jamba and I remember my mother telling us, you guys are really masochists, you always come back running with those huge eyes like you're so afraid that you'd rather be dead. Why do you go after him in the first place? And I would just say, Mom, I need some more money. And she would say, didn't I just give you some money? And I would say, I had to give it to Jamba. It saved me. 
I actually saved up my own money for the carnivals because Jamba wasn't going to get me. Are you crazy? Anyway, the last chase I remember, everyone was running down the street saying Jamba's coming, but it was a lie. And in the commotion, this escaped dog chased me down and bit me in the butt. And I started shrieking. And then, in my anger, I chased him down and got a hold of him and bit him back. And then he started shrieking. And then this woman came out of her house and she was like, don't bite my dog! And the woman was hysterical and I got to her house and I explained, ma'am, he bit me first. So me and the dog went our separate ways, both of us limping back home, him with his mangled up little leg and me with my bloodied ass. And my mom had to take me to the hospital. The rest of the year I missed out chasing Jamba. It was a thrill. It's fear like you have never felt it before in your life. That was pure fear. And you guys chased it like you did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the whole thing. And then, oh, my gosh, we were fast and we were in shape. And you feel like that is the end of your life. I guess that's the thrill that we were looking for. <laughs> And then we would get home, and then we'd run right back out again. <laughs> I started to tell me the story so that I could record it before I even really knew what I was going to say about it. But after thinking about it, I think I like the Jamba story so much because despite the fantastical and exaggerated nature of the settings and the characters, it's so simple. There needed to be a chase, so people stepped in to play the roles as they saw fit. That was tradition. And when the variable came in, the escaped dog, my mom reciprocated in the fairest way. She gets bit, he gets bit. Easy. It's one of the few stories that she's told me that helped me understand her inner Hammurabi code, but just barely. And actually, in an unexpected way, my own, too. I went looking through her important documents to see if I could find any clarifying information on her birthday situation, and I found copies of my own birth certificates, and one of them said that I was born February 2nd, and I am pretty sure that my birthday is February 1st, and my first thought wasn't some kind of, wait, or what, but rather, uh, I need to grab a friend and a beer and tell them about this as soon as possible. And that made me realize that as much as I might get confused and twisted in her stories and what I was supposed to learn from them and why she was telling them to me in the first place, I still went after hearing more of them because somewhere I understood that it was never about decoding or context or some kind of psychoanalyzation of a person. She had taught us that good stories don't need good reasons. It's just about that impulse. An itch to send ripples over water. An instinctual tick pushing us to reach out through all the space between us and see if we can manage a feather glance of a touch that'll get a laugh. To fill that space in just a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs>